Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Welcome to Tall Tales, a place for fiction, drama and spoken word on Brum Radio. If you missed last week's episode, I highly recommend you take a listen on demand at mixcloud.com forward slash brumradio. It's an incredibly creepy story called Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm, and it's inspired by an infamous unsolved local mystery. This week's story is Cheer Up Lucky Lips Forever by Alan Beard. When I was young, the sky was mine. I was always getting close to it. Up trees, on roofs, the iron bridge. I loved hilltops, exhausted from the climb, lying, looking up into the blue. I'd been on a plane once, to Spain and back. Saw Cirrus drift above tiny mountains and woods running on for miles. I was sure I could fly. Just jump in a certain way and off I'd float, skim houses and see faces I knew looking up at me. The iron bridge. We'd perch on its stanchions, being big, as trains whooshed dulum dulum, faces at the windows, on their way. Its steps were the scene of our games. Fox and hounds, double dare. Chick Golovskov threw lighted ping-pong balls and vinegar-hardened conkers from the top when our gang split in two. Bunt jumped from the bridge into a coal truck in the sidings, climbed out just in time as the rattling started. Jumping as it picked up speed, he did his knee in and was all covered in coal dust. We argued where he would have ended up. Crew. No, Swindon. Sometimes the driver of a diesel, bored by waiting in the sidings, might let us up to see the engine. At his signal, we'd slip through the silver fence and scramble up the gravel to the raised line. A climb past wheels bigger than me, having to be picked up to see through the cabin window. The men's daily mirror and sandwich box amongst the levers and notices. Emergency. Tools. And take them on a tour, Andy. Like voyage to the bottom of the sea, machines slotted together into a display of dials, levers and buttons behind wire mesh. We slipped in our pumps moving down the oily corridor, eyes and nose deep in the sight and slick smell, and our ears, humming, clicking and sighing, or rushing like a storm, so you couldn't hear what was said. Not enough women, Double B says after the first couple of lectures. I agree. Too many suits at this conference. It would mean too much drinking, too much smoking, and me just taking it up again. It would mean standing with our backs to the bar, swilling some local ale, saying we're going to go across and ask that one, the one in the skirt, 
After all, we're free agents, well divorced the both of us. So it proves. Double B repeats his observation as we board the train home in a northern town I'd not recognise again, except by a curious gassy smell that seemed to linger in car parks and lobbies. He goes on to lament the waste of time it had all been. Company time. My time. Your time. What is it about conversation with your slight superior that exhausts you? I nod at him as we slide into seats that say sleep to me. Through the stickered window I see the station and the clutch of high-rise around it disappear into the fog. The hitch to my dream childhood was a girl we called The Blob, who lived close to the Iron Bridge in one of a set of three railway cottages right next to the line. She'd taken to following us at a distance, calling over a fence at us. Apparently she loved me. She called me Darling. On walks home from school, when we'd taunted and spat and gestured at her, she would call She Loved Me, Teddy. She thought I looked like a teddy bear. She'd lunge at me. Playing football sometimes, I'd twist up for a header and see her by the corner flag, cheering. Sitting at the back of the class, she'd sigh when I came in, and then take to muttering to herself like her grand down the shops. How come her brother's got a different last name? asked Chick, whose own last name we all stumbled over, but thought fabulous. The Blob. Mud hair, webbed feet, lice feeder. An adult and a baby all at once, big but blubbery. She still had something like babies have corners of blankets, that she fingered when nervous. Something small she took out of her cardigan pocket. She was known by this yellowish cardigan, worn throughout the year. We all claimed to have seen fleas jump from her tangled, stringy hair. It was death to touch her. And she loved me. The teacher made us do the surface tension experiment together, the one with the bowl of water and a pin. She didn't understand the idea of a skin on the water, she sat so close our knees touched and layer after layer of smells settled deep into my pores. Look boys, I'm scrubbing my hands, it's alright, I said to them in the bogs later, but they still avoided contact for a couple of days. Once, when she called to us over a fence and we shouted back, her big scary brother, Prof, because he smelt like a chemistry set, came up behind her. Just his face, thin, raw, and his red tufts of hair were enough. Before he could speak, we were gone into the bushes. I think we go through Sheffield, Derby, somewhere, towers of lights smudged over the window by fog and condensation, half hearing Double B's theory of women, what they want. Carriage warmth, train roll has me. Double B shaking me. I don't believe it. Sounding like Victor Meldrew. First they divert us, and now we're stopping. He peers over me. In the middle of nowhere. I look out. We've pulled up under a bridge. In the dim light, I can make out the word chick on the metal side of it. The last C is bodged at the bottom, so it could be a G. I remember him doing that. He hung from one hand, one foot wedged under the bridge railing, grinning back at me and pretending to jerk and fall. On the other side of the line from Blob was a pasture field with a herd of cows always in one corner or another. A coppice, a brook only full in winter, a scummy pond whose ice Brenda Martin fell through. 
Alongside that was a hillocky, grassy area we called the flats. Here we'd meet and share out what we'd scrounged or nicked from home. A slab of chocolate, some flat pop, matches to make a fire and cook up insect stew. Afterwards we'd piss the fire out to hear that hiss. An older group of boys sometimes met there. They were very particular who they talked to, but they didn't seem to mind me, and I'd lounge nearby as they squatted in one of the dips in the grassland. A magazine, a pack of cards, roll-ups galore and a Zippo lighter. A green bottle of cider they all swigged from. Girls' bums. Scarred John Trentfield educated me about sex. That's what grown men look at. Tits are out. It's bums now. Arses. Blob already had tits. He showed me a shiny picture of a woman bending over, looking back over her shoulder. I wanted a closer look. You're too young. He picked at the long scab on his cheek. He said he got it in a knife fight. Derek, older than me but not their age, appeared over the top of the knoll in brand new Leeds kit with an unmuddied football. Do you want to jouer au football avec moi? Fuck off, fucking cunt. You know that hut, Johnny Scarface said, where they keep the salt? They put the man from the crash in there, one leg off, dying and bleeding. They thought the salt would save him, stop the blood but he died in there. And Derek, that's where you're going. Twenty years ago seems to be lying outside the window, the same herd out there looming at the fence. Double B's dissertation continues, the word woman or women punctuating. I tell him I'm going to the toilet, but I turn the wrong way. The passengers are stirring, impatience in some voices. They turn, mobile phones stuck to their faces, to see if I'm a guard coming to fix the problem. I'm bent to look through the smudged windows at my piece of land in the sky I flew in. Suddenly, the noise and vibration of the train ceases, a defeat called to the fog outside. I expect to see the two ghosts from the crash come to the window, but they don't. The crash. Two dead, 42 injured, it said in next day's paper. We were coming out of primary school when it happened. A noise, we felt it in our knees and teeth. We wanted to see, but teachers ran out and stopped us. Miss Crouch still had her glasses nestled in her hair. Soon there was blocked traffic. Police. Nobody had thought of the Iron Bridge, and three of us slipped out through the churchyard, ducking past the cold cave entrance, and circled round that field. Once through the hedge, we raced across crushing buttercups and trying to ignore the cows. One was a bull, surely, starting towards us. I stabbed my foot straight into a fresh cow pat, spraying up my leg, but then we were up our bridge in no time, and we could see it all. There below us, as we knelt on the rim, holding the still cold bar on this hot day, a carriage had spilled right into Blob's back garden, joined to others hanging off the line. I thought of a necklace, a throat twisting, the people lying on their sides, upside down, Ties, handbags in faces, clutching luggage racks to scramble free. Already there were winches being assembled, men in uniforms and doors being cut through, sparks and thin lines of smoke. For two days we couldn't get near it, although the train started running again pretty soon. Then Chick hit on the idea of using my influence with Blob, get us into the scene itself. We waited until we were sure she was on her own, spying from the bridge. 
I asked if we could look for our lost ball. We'd kicked it over just before. The yard looked like it had been smashed up and was being put back together. Bent pipes and gravelly rubble, makeshift fencing, official yellow tape still stuck to things. I saw the remnants of Prof's motorbike, some bits of engine. Chicken bunts searched. I had to keep Blob occupied while avoiding her hands. Hands the size of my dad's. One thing, though. She had eyes the shape and darkness of Emma Peel's, if not the quickness and sparkle. They found a shoe, ripped along one side, a spot of red on it. We ran over the flats and put it inside the hole we'd discovered and enlarged beneath overhanging grass with our other special things. Miraculously, at the end of the carriage, the triumvirate of youths who looked like they were camped there move on, pushing each other and singing Ooh, Ah, Cantina. I'm left with room to pull down the window and lean out into the cold and gaze through the broken fence opposite Blob's plot. I light in the kitchen, a wobbly crayon yellow square, but the house is tucked up in fog. I think about getting off, going over to check the details. I can hear a car changing down in the lane beyond, the treacherous corner where I came off my bike. Bunt and Chick could still be here, over in the hidden houses, watching TV with wives from our class maybe. Bunt with Jackie G, the one with the sly smile and abundant curls. But I seem to remember hearing that Chick had emigrated. Australia? Or was it America? Most of all, I want to know if Blob is still there. One Sunday, when all the gangs seemed to be caught up in family visits, I went by myself to our patch of land. I laid in a willow, arm dropping, watching my fingers sway in the space above the grass. The air was full of traces. Buttercup. Cowpats. Dampness trees gave off even in the heat, and the smell of trains gone by. I told myself, I'll go soon, the Avengers is on. She came in through the kissing gate, muttering fast as usual. Her mouth was a minor, spitty squall. The grass dimpled in her wake. She won't see me, I thought. Too wrapped, I can idle on. And yet when she'd gone by, almost out of sight, I said, experimentally, not loudly, Bubble blubber blob. And she stopped. Looked back. I swung down. Hung from the branch, still in the air for a moment, before I touched down. Je joue au football? I asked her. I took her over the flats, building on my talk in her backyard. She played with her comforter. I saw it was round and gold, or brass, a little bell without a pea. She also had three fluff-covered love hearts, which she asked me to read. Cheer up, lucky lips, forever. Teddy, you make me schwoon, she said. I said, take your pants off then. We were in the dip, invisible to everyone except from the bridge. Behind her, I knew there was a hollow with a shoe, a hundred beater marble and crumpled pictures of women. No, she said, that's dirty. It's not, I said, it's love. It's not. What's love then? I asked. It's hugs and kisses. And it's bumsh, I said. Take your clothes off. Only if you kish me. A terrible pucker. Clothes first, I said. 
Her underwear was grey, and her skin the colour of old glue left in pots, hair already sprouting under arms, and even some down there, a little. She tried to undress without showing anything. A train rumbled into the station. Fucking cunt, I said. Turn round and bend over. You love me now, Teddy? My eyes seemed to sting, as if from swimming pool chlorine, in my effort to focus there, there, and there. We'll get married, Teddy. Turn around and stop calling me Teddy. I went and stood close, pressed my trousers against her. A feeling, like when I begin to fly, that special ankle twist that releases me upwards. Leechy, there you are. Thought you'd fallen on the line. Oh, God, take a look at that. Double B lets the girl hear as she squeezes past. His hands squeeze the air behind her back. Even after her brother beat her, scraping cheek skin off her with his fingernails, even though I'd still curl my pretty lip in rejection, Blob came to me when I was alone and asked to meet again. Prof had seen us from the bridge as I zipped up and left, but strangely, he left me alone. Her garden across the track where once dead people lay. She must still live there. I can see it. Children of her own. A life better than mine, maybe. It's possible. The train begins its domino rattle, engaging each carriage. Thank God for that, says Double B. Perhaps we'll get home tonight. Come on. The bar's open. I close up the window and watch twenty years being dragged out of me, faster and faster as the train gathers speed. Cheer Up, Lucky Lips Forever was written by Alan Beard and read by me, Philip Ellis. Tall Tales is produced by Aidan Meyer. Our theme music is by Swamp Thing, and you can hear more of their work at swoompthing.com. That's Swamp Thing with two O's and two E's. Tune in next week, Tuesday at 10.30, for a tense tale of Victorian horror. You're listening to Brum Radio.
Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.